Kim Kardashian's Beats Pro, and a developer's eye view of Apple's software development tools. This is Mac Voices. Today's Mac Voices is supported by Mac Voices After Dark. Uncensored, off-topic, and always off the wall. Mac Voices After Dark is available as a benefit to our Patreon subscribers. Sign up at patreon.com slash macvoices. Welcome to Mac Voices. This is the talk of the Apple community, and I'm Chuck Joyner. Folks, this is the second part in a three-part Mac Voices Live conversation. This time, we join the panel as they continue to engage in what ends up being a bit of a heated discussion over a call made by Google because of photos uploaded by one of its users. Let's go back and let the panel do the talking. All companies, Microsoft and Apple, kind of say, even though they don't actively scan, they, they still have caught plenty of these kind of pictures and brought them to police somehow. Well, well sure. For, for a long time, you know, some of this, what, these were the havens of, of the, uh, I'll just say the bad guys, put it that way. You know, right. and so mm-hmm. because it was a way that, you know, before you had, you had to get caught with, with physical pictures. Now you could be caught with, you had the opportunity to get more pictures anonymously. So, you know, everybody was screaming law enforcement right on down. I mean, keep in mind that, you know, one of the first things that pops up whenever anybody is trying to to uh, crack any of the privacy efforts of Apple or anybody else, that it's we got to protect the children. You know, it's it's child pornography is the ultimate evil. I'm not saying it's not. Please don't misunderstand. But that's the first argument that gets used every time that that law enforcement or anybody else wants to see inside or behind or around or through the encryption. I, I so. think for me, the problem is that Google has abrogated the role of the justice system to themselves. And I agree you know, they, they have decided that they are the police the prosecutor and the judge and and that's it and you know uh, that that's what the problem is and and Warren you know you're talking about backing up um how do you back up gmail if somebody uses gmail they're going to have their life in there every receipt you know everybody you know, receipts lots of contacts you don't necessarily put all your contacts in your contact file because you know I'll just go look up the email if you have an Apple, your your most Outlook or most clients, your old email will still be there, and but, you just but people uh, people use the web, you know, Gmail as a web client. Well, and my my point is, don't don't trust these companies to do that. And these are companies that can and have the ability to shut off service to whoever they feel like doing that to, and they did it. And you know, maybe there's reasons that we don't know about in the story. Maybe there was, you know, things that what you know he did that we didn't know that you know he should have done. I found it weird that Google didn't just turn the stuff back on after they found this to not be an issue, but I wasn't there. All I'm saying is, you know, don't you know, don't trust the company because they could be gone. I, I've told other people this because they could be gone tomorrow. And, you know, there's plenty of companies out there that we trust our life into that could be gone tomorrow and that could happen. So, so let's well, let's let's turn this around. Let's let's make this positive and then move on. You know, yeah. so in, instead of bashing Google for their stupid pig headed actions, 
you know, we should recognize that the lesson in this is that um, there are two binary, zero, one, you're either a full member of service or you're zero, you know, that, uh, no, that uh, they need to have some sort of, you know, process and they shouldn't, you know, scorch and cancel and burn a person's account just because, you know, one of their machine learning systems make an, makes an error after it was reviewed by human beings. Similar things should go for Apple as well as um, you know, other platforms out there. You know, and I know Microsoft. You know, in the past, they've been guilty of closing accounts where they find you know women's breasts. You know, from somebody who's a you know who's a well-known nude photographer. And they Facebook. just uh, and Facebook's a big one too, right? Facebook. Face, Facebook. Yeah, no, 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 no. They Facebook no longer Very exists. Bad it's now it's now Meta. You know, whatever. It's now Meta. So, yeah. so Meta will you know ban you right. from Facebook. Yeah, there exactly. still is a service called Facebook, isn't there? Yeah, and it's uh, Facebook yeah. that's that's managing the content. Okay, yeah, but yeah, anyway, you, you you get the point. Is that um, I mean, this is this is sort of uh, you know a, a panic father. You know, medical staff maybe asking for things that uh, well, actually, no. Like Jim said, you know, they uploaded through their app. You know, Google got this thing. I guess the I guess the bottom line here is. Don't turn on, don't enable automatic uploading of your photos to any of these services, or you, or you, and that's a lim- way to limit yourself getting into this. But uh, let's Mark, move that's, on. Mark, that's a. I don't want to lose that point. That's a real good point because it sounds like from what has been described well, here, it was. Hold on, Jim. It was. It was the the fact that it was uploaded to his Google Photos, not that he sent it to the doctor, which is a, which is quite a difference. So how did it get into his Google Photos? He almost had to have. Uh, the automatic uploads turned on, and you're right. If you're going to use your your camera for anything other than than non adult pictures, then you I know. mean, I guess the question is, if anybody was in a situation, if you took a picture like that, would you f- think twice about taking a picture with your phone that uploads to Google? I know it's totally 100% your son and it's legit doctor picture, but would you in your mind think maybe could this get uh, out or is this a I would idea? definitely think twice now, but let's go back to this situation. These these parents have a there's some problem with their son. They're probably freaking out about that. There's a pandemic. You know, maybe they can't get to the doctor in a timely manner and the doctor has said we can help you. We just need you just need you to do this. I think there's a lot of people um, that would just, you know, not think, oh, somebody's going to think I'm a you know, pedophile. Yeah. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. and, you know, the flip side is I sounds like you're just telling everybody don't back up your photos. Um, <laughs> you know, sure. there these these services don't have an option to not, you know, oh, don't back up these photos. You either turn on the, the photo backup or you don't. And I think all of us would, you know, normally tell people, yeah, you better back up your photos. You don't want to lose all those precious photos. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And don't well, forget, there's a significant number of people that have only their phone as right. a computing device. So plugging in their phone to their desktop computer at home and copying everything off is not an option. Right. Great point. I mean, hey, we're, I mean, the doctor probably should have just did a teleconference like every other doctor in the world 
and did a did, did a blue jeans call well, whatever the heck they use again the yeah. doctor didn't think that oh i'm i'm inciting these people to become sure. pedophiles yeah and now we're sure. now we're making up facts and situations so let's 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 move on guys um because she's been here for maybe 15 minutes and i haven't had a chance to introduce Brittany. <laughs> who is she uh britney smith Brittany, thank you so much for uh, for being here and i'm sorry you walked into this particular discussion but i'm glad you <laughs> challenged us a little bit <laughs> uh, um okay so i, I want to throw in one other just this is not exactly a meaningless topic. I think it's just an interesting one. We're not going to waste a lot of time on it. Um, and I'm trying to throw it into the all the chat rooms here. Um, there we go. Um, I'm not sure if you saw this, but Tim Cook, Johnny Ive, and Lauren Powell are all are going to be speaking together at the Code Conference um, about the impact of Steve Jobs. Now think about that again. Tim Cook, Lauren Powell, and Johnny Ive. With all the discussion we've done about Johnny Ive over the past few months or so, I thought this was just very, very interesting. Kara Swisher is moderating it. She said it's going to be her last one at Code, and so she'll be going out with a bang. But does anybody is anybody else kind of su surprised that Johnny would show up, or is it the topic yeah. you think that makes it, makes oh, I it think not surprising? Oh, I, th I think it's a topic. I mean, if you think about you know over the past. 20, 20 years, you know, who are the most people that uh, uh, Steve Jobs had the most significant relationships with is probably his wife and also uh, Tim Cook and uh, and Johnny. So uh, this makes total sense. Yeah, I, um, I'm not surprised by this either. Yeah. Okay. Why would I don't think, think he had blood between these people. Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not sure. You know, it'd be interesting because the uh, again, we've talked about the relationship between Tim and Johnny. And so, you know, maybe maybe whoever is setting the, their feelings aside on that. But I don't think there's bad blood. I just maybe just not seeing eye to eye. Yeah. Maybe this is something they can see to eye on. I, I'm I'm fresh listening to uh, After Steve, the, the book uh, from, uh, uh, that was uh, out a couple months ago. And you know, now Johnny obviously had some some rough times with, with Tim Cook, but uh, I think he's been gone for a while. Pretty much he had been checked out for a while and then and finally left the company altogether. Uh, but he was even mentioned that he was he, he just the culture changed and everything had changed the way he felt about uh, things. And it was a lot different than it was when Steve Jobs was around. So I think this is he knows this is absolutely perfect for him to be as part of uh, Steve's wife, as well as Tim Cook taking his uh, taking over for him. And uh, and then Johnny and Steve were obviously really good friends as well, as well as uh, uh, co-workers. So uh, I think. Johnny knows that, and I think that's I think that's its motivating factor, in my opinion. I think we're missing the bigger point here, which is that this is the final thing for Kara Swisher. I think when, yeah, that too. when she when she wraps this up, we have lost a huge resource and uh, and name in the tech uh, news industry. She's just uh, uh, yeah. Uh, She's a gem, and uh, and not having Kara Swisher as part of uh, of the scene anymore, it, it's it's like the end of an era. Well, and and I don't think tech news coverage and insight will be the same without her. Yeah, she went with uh, Walt Mossberg too. I mean, he, he was he was good as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. 
it's the nature of things. You know, we all get a little bit older. Some of us retire, step out, step out of the game. So, you know, I've, I don't disagree with you, Jeff. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see who's going to step in and try to fill some of those shoes in a balanced fashion. I'll change the media. That's, I think that's a lot of what affects Kara's uh, decision, too. She's gone through different changes of code and, and recode and where she's worked uh, in other places. So I, mean, I think that that itself is affects uh, their decisions. Yeah. Mm hmm. The next topic up, and I brought this just for Brittany since she commented on this in our Slack, um, is that the Kim Kardashian <laughs> Beats uh, Pro are already sold out. So, Brittany, I, I know what I want to say about this issue, but I'm going to want to hear what you want to say about this issue. I, I have very few comments on it. My my comment was only, is is that her? Because when I hear Kardashian, I, my first thought is, oh, is that somebody from Deep Space Nine? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brittany, this is why I love and, you. And oh, my second you. thought was, <laughs> is that actually her? Because I actually can't pick her out of a lineup um, because that looks like CGI. Like, no, do click right. on this link. It's horrifying. Is that supposed to be her? That's her. Like, does yeah, she... Is she living in the uncanny valley? That's what I need to know. Photoshop. Well, you know, that could be Photoshopped a bit. <laughs> a bit. With CG, like with three-dimensional modeling. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, go look on her Instagram page. You see pictures of her all the time. I mean, she looks, I don't doubt, doubt she's Photoshopping those. I'll take your word for it, Dave. Oh. I just say <laughs> I doubt she is. I didn't say I, I, I spend time looking at her Instagram page. <laughs> you do. Sp- oh, tell us more. Today. No, no, I do not. Tell us more. I do not. Oh, you do not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the important. Uh, <laughs> well, the reason I brought this to the table, though, aside from all the the, the joking, is that if you took a look at uh, these these Beats Pro that she allegedly was involved in the design of, they are flesh tone. Beats Pros, so they don't stick out um, right. literally or figuratively like the the AirPods that I'm wearing, or I'm not sure if anybody else is wearing them. But I just wonder if that is, you know, it, how important does that become? Or did they sell out because of Kardashian, or did they sell out because they are flesh toned and won't be as obvious? Or is it yes. a combination of both? Or maybe no, because I, they didn't make. I, I think it's a good idea. No, I think no, it's too. I, I don't. What's the bad idea about them? I mean. They look fine. They kind of blend in. Why? Yeah. You know, what's what's bad? What's bad? Oh, they're sold out. <laughs> People like them to go stand. I'll be back. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, no, I, I. Did he need I, to buy the last pair? Yeah. <laughs> From no, so, yeah. On, you could get them on Amazon and Best Buy, by the way. So, I don't know if y'all could actually hide them, but like they actually would not be a weird white that occasionally poked through my hair. So. Actually, yeah. I, I can see I can see the benefit of it. Yeah. Well, Brittany, I agree with you, and and the fact that it was the Beats brand that did it, and not the Apple brand for AirPods, because they've never thing. been a different color. Yeah. Right. Well, and no, and you can't really hide them. There's no hiding. You you you, you you can't. There's no color that's going to hide those things sticking out of your ears. So and they know that. So you know the Beats are more. The Beats are more hideable. Okay. Yeah. Is that a word? It is is tonight, apparently. Apparently it is now. All right. Um, Jim Ray, you brought this to the table. And so we're going to ask you to um, discuss it. I'm just putting him in in the chat room now. The state of Apple 
uh, AppKit, Catalyst, Swift, etc. Then we go bring that back up. Um, yeah, I just thought that was kind of an interesting article, a little bit more developer-y, but um, <clears throat> uh, I guess you know you guys can look at the link. Um, there's Apple has you know there's a bunch of different choices now that developer have have when uh, creating a Mac app on the, on on the Mac. There's three choices, in fact, really four. There's AppKit, which is basically the original um, tools that came from Next, and then there's the most new one is Swift UI, which is sort of like brand new. Um, and then there's two flavors of Catalyst, um, which is basically the same um, developer tools um, used for iOS. And there's two flavors of that. One is basically a straight iOS app that's just moved over and it kind of scales it when it goes to the Mac. Um, so it looks a little funky. And then there's also a, um, um, a Mac Macified version that doesn't do any try to do any stretching um, and does some things a little bit differently. And you can also mix them. So you could have a Catalyst app that also has a little bit of AppKit or a Swift UI app that has some AppKit in it or an AppKit app that has Swift UI. So there's all kinds of permutations. And there's, you know, a lot of discussions in developer circles over, you know, the last few years it keeps evolving over which one should people be using or are they using. So this particular developer made, he, he has an app that analyzes apps. Uh, it's a really cool app for, for developers that can go in and tell you what um, APIs, uh, you know, how an app's organized. I ran it on Panorama and it was really, really interesting, but he ran it. So he ran this, you know, made a version of that, that he ran on all the apps that Apple ships for macOS, um, different versions of macOS from Mojave to Ventura. And so he came up with some charts showing how that has changed. So um, like in Mojave, 99% of the apps were in um, AppKit because uh, that was, you know, up till then, that was the only thing available. And 1% were in Catalyst, which was four apps. Remember, they had what news and uh, voice and a couple others. So four apps, Catalyst. So that has has gradually changed. And, you know, now in Ventura, 4% of apps are in Catalyst. Um, so it's interesting to see. So, you know, Mojave to Catalina, Cat, Catalyst didn't really change much, a um, little bit. And then it went up a little bit more in Big Sur. It went up to 4% in Monterey. And then in Ventura, it didn't, it stayed at 4%. So it seems like Catalyst may have reached a plateau. Um, and uh, Swift UI started in Big Sur 2%, and then Monterey 5%, and Ventura 12%. So Swift UI is, is growing pretty rapidly. Um, on the other hand, in Ventura, we're still 85% AppKit. So it's not 99% anymore, but still, you know, most things are still AppKit and probably will be for a while. Um, 
but Swift UI is, you know, we'll, we'll probably see that growing at the expense of AppKit in whatever the next year's app is and in, in, in the future. But it's going to be a long time before AppKit goes away. Jim, so, for, for, for end users, forgive me because I don't want to make I don't want to minimize anything you're saying or the 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 uh, the evolution of the tools. But is there anything here that really makes a big difference to us as non-developer end users? Um, well, you know, I did when I put it in the chat. I said this is kind of developery, so uh, I warned you. <laughs> it is, you know, oh, oh, yeah. obviously a more more interested developers, but it does it does have some impact because those um, uh, frameworks are coming from different places. So, um, and you know, there's a lot of discussion in developers now, but like, can, you know, can you really make apps all in SwiftUI or, you know, are they limited to really simple apps? And you look at some things like, um, uh, well, like shortcuts is in SwiftUI now. And shortcuts came out, um, Last year, right in uh, in, in uh, Monterey, and there were a lot of problems with it that were attributed to the fact that it used SwiftUI as a framework. Um, and now um, there's a lot of talk about problems with system settings, or maybe it's called preferences now in Ventura, and that has you know one of the things about that is it's been completely written, rewritten. It was an app kit. Now the new one is Swift UI. And so there may be some good things about that, but there's some, you know, odd things about that from a user point of view. I don't know if any of you have seen there was there was a post with a bunch of showing a bunch of really odd behavior in the Ventura system preferences. And yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a dumpster fire right now. Well yeah. and, and and it seems like a lot of that is uh, attributed to to Swift UI, so you know Swift UI is still it's very young, it's it's very um, you know immature. It's like a, it's like a teenager or something like that. So uh, you know it does some things really well, but when you get to the edges of it, then there's a lot of ragged edges. So um, I would say that is how it, it impacts, um, you know, so there's some people who are like, oh, well, SwiftUI is great, but it's, you know, screwing up the quality. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, and there's certainly at this point in time, there are still definitely things that um, can only be done in AppKit. And, and, you know, and another thing, you know, AppKit is sort of basically, you know, when we think about a native UI app, like you look at like, so, you know, in addition to these choices, there's also like, you can make an Electron app, you know? So things like Slack or Visual Studio, those are Electron apps, um, and uh, which are really based on a, a web browser. And then there's some apps that are based on a framework called Qt, like the Stream Deck app. Have you ever noticed that the Stream Deck app is sort of like weird and doesn't act exactly like a native uh, Mac app? That's because it isn't a native Mac app. It's built using Qt. So if you build an app in AppKit, it's gonna, you know, unless you like really work hard, it's gonna be a pretty good native Mac app because 
that's sort of the definition of what a native app, uh, you know, uh, app written in AppKit, you get everything for free. It, it, it'll work like a, you know, uh, like a Mac app. But with Swift UI, that's not necessarily true. And, you know, maybe, maybe the definition of a native Mac app is going to change. And maybe in five years from now, there'll be some things in Swift UI and we'll say, well, that's how we expect. You know, we don't think AppKit, you know, now we think AppKit works funny, even if it hasn't changed. So, you know, we don't, we, we don't really know the future. Um, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Well, that's that's why I've, I wanted to make sure we got to this because in our past discussions about Electron apps, I learned a lot. I think a lot of us learned a lot from what you told us about Electron apps. And what you just said makes perfect sense, especially when you can give us examples of things that they run on the Mac, they are supposed to be Mac apps, but they don't quite look right or don't quite, quite look, as you said, like what we expect. So, you know, this will be yeah, something things to like watch. My Epson, my Epson scanner app, I don't know what it's written in, but the arrow keys don't work right when I'm editing text. And, you know, like I can't do things like command arrow to the end in the beginning. Well, that's just ingrained into me, you know. I can do that sort of thing. And you get this and it's like, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. And every time I scan a file and I want to rename it and the arrow keys don't work right. And so every time I use my scanner app, which is a really great other in every other way, but it annoys me every time because I'm editing the name and it doesn't work right. Unfortunately, Swift UI, which is not there yet, but it's supposed to be the thing, a, a lot of them just don't feel native, like shortcuts. <laughs> if you drag something yeah. and, and it's supposed to drop in this spot and it doesn't drop in that spot, that does not feel native. Um, there are definitely Electron apps that feel more native than um, some of the Swift UI apps do. The ones that are trying to do really complex stuff, shortcuts, some other apps that are still in beta, thankfully, but also poor developers that these apps have been in beta for you know, a year and a half, two years because Swift UI isn't there yet and they can't release it acting like not native. Well, but, you know, frameworks really, you know, channel a developer in a certain way and different frameworks will do it differently you know so it's it's whatever um uh framework you're using you're gonna get these defaults and if you if you you know it's very takes a lot of extra work to force out of what the defaults are that the framework um gives you so you know electron is basically a web browser so it works like that um, and there are some people, you know, some developers that have done extra work to try and, you know, make their app work more natively, even though, you know, but, you know, it's basically like if you make your app an app kit, it's just going to work the way, the, the native way, you know, by default, you don't have to do anything extra. But app kit's really complicated. It's um, hard to find qualified app kit engineers. It's poorly documented and, and and getting worse documented. So you know, uh, uh, companies would like to get away from using AppKit for those reasons, basically because it's expensive. Including Apple, I think Apple you know would like to get away from that. You know, will they ever completely? No, probably not, or at least you know not in the next twenty years, say. But 
And and also Swift UI is actually built on top of AppKit too. So that's a, that's another sort of layer to all this that uh, Swift UI is using AppKit underneath. It's it's not its own completely new thing. Um, so and that, and Swift, Swift UI is going to change rapidly. It's going to it's changed every year since it you know came out. It's gotten better. Um, it's going to keep you know next year. It's kind of unfortunate that it's tied down to the annual um you know release cycle um and but jim you you went exactly where i was going to ask you about you know isn't this just sort of the nature of some of these tools evolving and and the fact that we you know you you're losing some tools some just become old you move into new tools and those tools themselves are evolving just like the operating systems and the applications that they develop so isn't that just isn't it just all part of what we should expect going forward. I mean, heaven knows the you know the OS 10 that we know now is not the OS 10 that you know supplanted OS uh, System 9. Well, you know, to me, this article was just interesting because it quantified what Apple is actually doing in their own apps, as opposed to you know like what they tell developers or what they say. And you know, one of the big takeaways is, oh, look, eighty-five percent of it is still pure AppKit. Um, so even though they're, you know, um, they're not, um, which is not surprising because, you know, it, it costs a fortune. You know, if something works, you know, you don't want to spend a bunch of money to rewrite it just to use a new framework. Right. Um, uh, and, um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, uh, probably the amount of AppKit code is still increasing. I, I would I would guess, um, but they're trying to, in some cases, write new code in Swift UI where they can't. Um, um, let's let's move this on because I don't want to get too bogged down in the developer stuff. But I think it is interesting and and important to understand some of this. But I think you hit a key point there. They're not going to rewrite apps just to rewrite apps. That would be silly, and I hope I hope they don't. They never waste their time like that. But you have to go back and think about how they rewrote, rewrote excuse me, numbers, pages, and Keynote. There was a good reason, and of course they took a lot of flack for that. But there was a good reason, so they would work across the the, the Mac, iOS, and iPadOS platforms. So sometimes yeah, it's kind of mysterious. I don't know much about what how those apps are are built and and they're not you know those aren't were not written in cupertino i don't think i believe um a lot of that was done in pittsburgh um i'm not sure you know if those use any um swift i think those might be all objective c or mostly um and probably well i don't know if it's AppKit or you know see now your your discussion about rewriting and that that's where catalyst comes in because Catalyst was basically invented as a way for Apple to reuse iOS code on the Mac. On the Mac, so they're like, "Well, we have this stuff like Messages on iOS, and it has all these features that the Mac version didn't have, like you know, stickies and stickers and you know things like that." And you know, they had they had been keeping two versions of Messages: the Mac version and an iOS version. And they'd been working more on the iOS version and it had sort of been going ahead and they had been sort of 
gradually trying to keep up on the Mac side, but it's double work, you know? And so they're like, you know, we don't want to do this anymore. So they came up with a system, Catalyst, that would allow them to take that iOS code, which is written in a framework called the UI kit, um, and allow that to run without, with little or no modification on the Mac. Um, so Catalyst is basically a, we want to take old code and not rewrite it and, and use it in places where we couldn't anymore, specifically on the Mac. So that's what Catalyst is all about. And that may be why Catalyst isn't growing that much because it's not so much, I, you know, I think they're probably trying to avoid writing new stuff um, using UIKit. They're going to try to do that in Swift, but, but that's for taking stuff that they already have, that they have big investments in and leverage that investment to be able to, you know, so now we've got a bunch of stuff that never used to be able to do on the Mac and now we can, which is kind of nice. And, and Apple didn't have to rewrite that. And even to the point um, where you can just run unmodified iOS apps on the Mac, um, which is interesting. So, and that's part of the catalyst thing. Right. Um, next story, um, I'm gonna throw in, and, and this was suggested, um, I, I picked one of the articles, there are plenty of them out there. Um, Brian uh, from our Slack uh, suggested touching on this. And that was the the security flaws and um, updates that uh, came out last week, and you know I I mean I don't know what there is to say. There were flaws discovered. Apple patched them, and and move on. I thought Ken Ray did a great job when he covered it in uh, in Mac OS Ken that you know this one for some reason whether it's the summertime and it's slow whether it's because it was Apple or what but this is what all the operating systems do they. There are, there are flaws, they're patched, and you move on. As long as you apply the patches, you're safe. Chuck, I, Jeff. Um, I, I think there's two things that made this so big. Okay. Uh, the first uh, can uh, hit, which is we're in the middle of summer. It's a slow news cycle for tech in general and Apple specifically. So anything that happens... Um, especially something that that can be a uh, uh, clickbaity uh, bad spin on Apple, man, it's going to take off. The the other part is that uh, we have the uh, the the keywords zero day and exploit in the wild, and um, and when those words come together then you would just get like a, a big wildfire uh, freak out and news. And this was um, uh, heightened by the fact that it's summer and it's a slow news cycle. What these address, sure, we're talking about some, some potentially serious security flaws, uh, especially considering uh, for at least one of the two, you only have to hit a website that that has uh, maliciously crafted code built into it to trigger the attack, which means that the reality is it's probably a hacked website. Um, but the other part of this is that these sorts of uh, security flaws have come up before, have been patched, and we have moved on. This isn't really any more serious than any of the other flaws that are at the same level yes it's a, it, it is a serious thing but this isn't 
end of the world, Apple is crumbling kind of stuff. This is just more of the, oh, crap, zero day, glad it's patched, let's move on. So, okay, so can I paraphrase that? Sure. Sure. Wait, wait, does Chuck have to do another edit? (laughs) No, I'm not going to use any bad words. Uh, Okay, then sure, go ahead and paraphrase. (laughs) Okay, so so basically we're saying is, you know, it's a slow news day and some scummy editor at Mashable created a clickbait, you know, headline, you know, for what otherwise would be a non-event, you know, of a regular Apple doing a security update. The panel is back in the next edition of Mac Voices to wrap up this three-part Mac Voices live conversation. Next time, we touch on Apple software updates and why frequent updates are a good thing. We talk about YouTube's foray into podcasts and what the implications are for that, and a whole lot more. That's next time on Mac Voices, and I hope to see you there. Until then, and as always, I'm Chuck Joyner. Thanks for watching. Visit macvoices.com for show notes and to connect with Chuck on social media. Get involved in our Facebook group or like our Facebook page, and get more out of your Apple tech with Mac Voices Magazine, free on Flipboard and on the web. And if you find value in it all, consider supporting us through either our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash macvoices or by making a one-time donation via the PayPal link on our front page and in the show notes of each episode. You will join these fine people who help bring you Mac Voices. Advertising handled by Backbeat Media at backbeatmedia.com. Bandwidth provided by Cashfly at cashfly.com.